Hello, Catherine. Hello, Ted. How are you? I was wondering how this was going to work. I didn't know if y'all were going to both be in the same room at the same time or if y'all were going to do this <laughs> on separate computers or whatever. So this is exciting for me. Yeah, well, we debated because I, I wasn't sure how the microphone was going to sound if we were both trying to just use the computer. So so hopefully there's not too much echo or whatever. Oh, no, y'all sound great. Hey, Daryl. Good. Hey, how are you? I'm fantastic. So this is a this is a twofer for me as far as first. I've got... Well, actually, multiples. It's I've got um, two people on, and I'm interviewing at the same time. Uh, two people who are are y'all in the same same building at least? We're yes. like ten feet away apart from each other. Okay, all right. And then, of course, this is my first international podcast. International. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so, how's it going with you guys? I mean, I haven't seen y'all in the flesh in almost a year now. I know, right? It's just been kind of a wild, a wild ride for the last year and a half. Uh, I don't know. We're we're hanging in there. It's been kind of hard on on our team, a bit hard on the um, some of the business side of it. But we're going into flu season, so that'll boost our revenues a little bit, and then we'll have to see how it goes from there. But um, I know I'm tired. Like it, I, it's, I think I was talking with my, with my coach, you know, Renee, um, right. and she said, yeah, I think it's called compassion fatigue. And I said, yes. yeah, I think I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, you're the second person that's talked about that. And to, to me oh. on this podcast in the last three weeks, the same thing was talked about by Amy Bogue. I definitely know it's decision fatigue, if nothing else. Um, cause our decision makings that we're having to do is way higher than I've ever had to do in my life before this. Yeah. That's for sure. And by the minute it seems, or it feels like, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> got to be faster and right now, and I've got to have my answers right away and that kind of thing. So it's, it is crazy. What did you think Ted of the, of the intensive? Did you find it useful? Did you get takeaway quite a bit or? I did. And I didn't, I guess it's because I've dug into it a lot already with the book, you know, and, um, the, for, uh, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all some of what we're talking about is going to get used at the, in the actual thing, I'll sort of cut and splice and whatever, but this may be one of those things. Um, the book that I'm discussing for everybody who's not familiar with this is called the vision of, of, uh, the vision driven leader. It's my Michael Hyatt and Michael is our group coach that we have for our wonderful group seven, the best group that they ever had, by the way. And I actually, I think will also be the last group that he coaches that I don't know if that's a good thing for him or bad thing for him to go out on a bang with us. But anyway, um, so I dug into it from reading the book and then worked through the process because my coach had recommended that I do that. So it, it was kind of repeat a little bit, but at the same time, I, I think I dug into it a little differently. I forced myself to look at it a little differently when I found out this is what we were going to be doing. And I think that was helpful. So I've spent the majority of my day today typing out some of that stuff and, and fixing my actual vision script that I had before to try and sort of update it. So what'd you guys think? I found it really quite helpful, not even so much the vision script work, but the, the cascading down of the information, the way that they've sort of, they've set it up. Um, I'd heard them talk about the team alignment piece before that wasn't really a surprise, but just getting a feel for how they, they make it kind of a rolling, you know, constantly evolving kind of a, a planning process, which it's not something I'd been really familiar with. I was more familiar with the set it and then work from that plan kind of a, a thing. But obviously in this day and age, that doesn't work very well anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Like a three year thing, you're thinking about a three year cycle kind of thing and then redo it in three years. Yeah. Kind of thing. I know, I know me coming from a sports background curling, it was a quadrennial or the Olympic every four years, the Olympics. So that's kind of how I thought about a vision also vision script also is like because you said at the beginning of your beginning of your four years you figure out what you guys are going to do and then uh, every four years it resets right but yeah so i mean it gave you a little bit of a, a head start having that background that you have for me you know everything is set on the calendar 
and not thinking that far ahead up until a few years ago when I got involved with some roles within an organization I'm in called Vision Source. And the companies that we were working with, they're all thinking 10 years down the road. They're not thinking even five or, you know, they're thinking way, way ahead. And listening to them makes you start thinking things a little differently in your own business. So that was, that was helpful, but I still don't think I, I really put myself into the place of truly planning that three years ahead. It was still set on that. Well, here's the end of this year, how we're going to do for next year and that sort of thing. So it, it really was helpful having that type of, of uh, exposure to things. Before- yeah. We sort of went a little further when we first bought the business um, six years ago now, because we kind of had a 10 year plan in place um, mainly for, um, what we're going to do at the end of the 10 years when we go to sell the business, what, like, are we going to continue working? Um, is Catherine still going to be a pharmacist in the business? Is she going to fall into a business management type role or what are we going to do? So we kind of had some of that in place. Um, and it's, it continuously evolves because of the, the planning that we have done. A lot of it's fallen through with um, finding a pharmacist to, to um, purchase the business at the end of our 10 years, what we thought would be our 10 years. So that continuously evolves too. Yeah. Well, before we get too deeper into anything else and I have to cut and splice a lot, <laughs> I'm going to get us started. Um, so if y'all just bear with me while I do my little dog and pony show here at the very beginning, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going into it. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight one-day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear one-days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice Not fear of the disease associations with myopia is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I am really excited today. This is a multiple, multiple first for me. Uh, first of all, I am, I've got two very good friends of mine. It's not my first time having friends, but, uh, two friends that are international, uh, Catherine McCann and Daryl Hunt. They are from Canada and, uh, from Coma. Is that I pronounced that correctly? Homox. Homox. Okay. I never could. I apologize. Uh, which is in British Columbia, very close to Vancouver in that area. Um, and they also are a husband and wife team. So I'm actually, uh, interviewing, two people at the same time and they're in the same building, but not on the same computer. So this is kind of weird for me. Uh, Catherine is a pharmacist at a medicine shop 
franchise there in Canada. We have medicine shop franchises here in the U.S. as well. In fact, uh, we were using the one here in Tifton for quite some time before they uh, closed up and moved out. Daryl now is running the business side of things more often. He also went and got his master's in business, I believe, about a year ago. Is that right, Daryl? Not quite. I have one more course to do, oh. and then I then yeah. I was I was conferring the degree upon you before you were ready to get it, so I apologize. I don't want to I don't want to steal any of your time away. But anyway, welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm I'm really happy to have both of you here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Certainly. So uh, we were digging into some things a little bit already, and one of the things I did want to sort of circle back to is how common is a private pharmacy in Canada? Because all of us in the U.S., we keep thinking, you know, pretty much healthcare is all uh, socialized there. I'm sure it's not nearly as much as we think it is, but what is it like to have a private pharmacy, a private business in a healthcare realm in, uh, in a foreign government for us? Well, I think there is a lot of misinformation about what public health care is in Canada. I like to say to people, what we have is our hospitals and our doctors are paid for and pretty much everything else we have private insurance for or we have to pay for out of pocket. So in our pharmacy, we have uh, basically a private, a private funded uh, business that we run. And we do get some payment from governments and a lot from private uh, plan insurance. So similar, I think, to what happens in the United States with the various insurance plans, we adjudicate the prescriptions through these various plans, including the government plan for things like income supplements and social assistance and, and disability. But we really are a private business. And in terms of private uh, solo ownership in pharmacies. We're becoming a bit of a rare breed. We're, there's quite a few corporates in Canada now that tend to buy up the smaller pharmacies. Whereas even 30 years ago, when I started practicing pharmacy, it was much more independently owned uh, small pharmacies in your local neighborhood. And that's very similar to here and also with optometry here in the States as well. Um, you know, when I, we first moved to Tifton, there were, they had like actually a local pharmacy association. There were about 12 or 13 pharmacists every year for Christmas. I'd get a box of chocolate covered pecans and, you know, I would enjoy that. And slowly that list got smaller and smaller and smaller and the 10 stopped arriving. And now I believe here in Tifton, we've got maybe, I don't know, three independent pharmacies. Everything else is either CVS, Walgreens or Walmart, you know, pretty much everything else is, uh, that's very, very little private pharmacy here. Uh, we still do use personally, I use per, our private pharmacy here in town for me, uh, moons, give them a big plug. Not that they're, you know, I don't know if they're listening, but Hey, if they are, Hey, that's great. But it's really nice having that local connection and why it's so important, especially in a small town is, I mean, I see these people all the time and it's an important thing for me to want to invest in my own community, to do business in my own community, especially in a time right now where everybody is doing things so easily somewhere else. And um, I would presume that even though your, your pharmacy is a franchise, it's still, you're running it yourself. Yeah, absolutely, Ted. We are very independent in being able to make our own decisions. And one of the decisions that we've made in terms of promoting ourselves in the community, uh, especially because we've got other competitors fairly close to us, uh, and also the community itself has a number of pharmacies in it. We've elected to really focus on our community, um, giving back to the community being, you know, we talk about us living and working in this community and not being some big nameless, you know, big box store that happens to have a pharmacy in it. We spend a lot of time getting to know uh, the people that come in the door, we know them by name, many of them. And it's that small town feel we've still tried to, to capture in our store. And I think that differentiates us from the big corporations that are out there. The nice thing about the Medicine Shop banner franchise, if you like, is that we still get some of the buying power in order to bring in our medications and our front store items, uh, you know, with, with that buying group, if you like. Uh, and also we get a lot of help with the advertising on a national level through their marketing programs that we 
we pay into through our franchise fees. So basically it's just giving you a support system that's helping you do your business and making it easier. So you're not having to reinvent every single thing, but you're having to come up with a lot of it still on your own. And I think that's really helpful having a team approach with the two of you working at this from both sides of it. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be a lot of work on your, on your own. And um, when we our, our business partner, who's in Edmonton, she's been on her own and this is her third franchise. Um, her first one, she started up, up by herself, independent, small little pharmacy about 400 square feet and she had to figure it out all by herself kind of thing um, but having her in the medicine shop um, franchise or behind us um, gives us a little bit of support in that, that marketing um, they, they give us the purchasing power so they, they go out and source and have a, a formulary or a, a schedule of drugs that they follow um, they go out and purchase them from the big McKesson and then we can purchase them at a lower rate than what you would just by going McKesson directly. Right. So giving you some economy of scale. So you're able to do some things a little bit more affordably, but I'm sure not only does it help your margins, but I'm sure it also helps you pass a lot of that on to your own customers as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It helps keep us competitive. You know, I think sometimes people are surprised when they come to us and they find out that our, our prices for our medications are, are actually pretty reasonable. We're, we're not the most expensive in town, so to speak. So that's that really helps uh, us as well. And we do have some folks that are price conscious uh, for a reason. They're mainly seniors, is who we we serve in our community. We're a time we're a retirement community, and so some of them are in fixed income, and so they pay attention to that. And we try and make sure that we can you know meet their needs without breaking their bank. And with that, you know, I'm presuming also you're always looking for different revenue streams, different income producers, not just the pharmaceuticals. What are some things that you've brought into your business in the last couple of years that are maybe different from what you would ever expected you would have done 10 years ago? One of the things is actually when we purchased the store, um, the previous owner had developed a large um, home health care area in the store, like for walkers, wheelchairs, um, braces, like for like, um, wrist braces, ankle braces, something like that. So we've been developing that side of the store, um, quite a bit in order to maintain our, um, our level of profitability in, in the business. Um, we also have introduced a couple of new products. One of them being that Catherine can speak more to this, but it's a, a DNA, um, DNA service that will determine whether or not how you um, process medications to, based on your genetic makeup. Yeah. So talk about that, Catherine, that sounds exciting. So, yeah, we brought in these kits a few years ago. They are the, the company that we use is called my DNA. Uh, the company originates out of Sydney, Australia, actually. And the medical director of this particular laboratory that processes the kits is someone who has a lot of experience and background in uh, pharmacogenetics or the, the study of medication being affected by your genes. So what we've done is we're, we bring these kits in and we offer them to people who have been struggling with either side effects or ineffective medication. And with a, a panel of specific medications, we can test them and see if maybe their genetics is impacting the results they're getting from their medications. So what it does is it looks at things like the metabolism of the medication, uh, as well as some of the distribution issues that arise with the medication. So how well you can um, either absorb the medication or eliminate the medication. So it's, it's a nice tool to have in the, the tool chest, so to speak. So I use it selectively. I use it when I have people that seem to have to go through a number of different medications and still are struggling to get any impact or results from their medications. And for the ones that we've been using it with, they've had some very interesting results. Obviously our genetics are, we're all individuals. So our genetics vary from person to person. And so the results that we get are always different. And when we go through and do some interpretation and make some recommendations based on those results, it's really, 
uh, quite fascinating. And we've had, a, we've had a number of people that have benefited from that. We've known which medications to stay away from and which ones that we might maybe need to bump up the doses a little bit in order for them to get an effective um, result from. And uh, it's something that we definitely get a lot of interest in when we bring it up in, when we do our consultations with patients. So are there certain disease processes that it seems to work a lot better for than others, or is this pretty much a panacea for every kind of health condition that there is? Uh, no, there are a couple of specific ones that we use it in. I use it in particularly with people suffering from depression, also um, from cholesterolemia or high cholesterol. And I also will use it occasionally uh, with some of my heart disease patients, uh, especially if they're having a lot of side effects from the standard medications that they use after heart attacks. For example, um, metoprolol or bisoprolol is there, those are beta blockers that slow the heart rate and people will sometimes get a lot of side effects from those. So I've sometimes used the DNA testing to, to figure out if those medications or if their, gen their genes are the culprit or if we just maybe need some dose adjustments or to avoid the medication altogether. So I've used it in a couple of targeted areas. The other area that it does work uh, for is in anticoagulation with medications like warfarin. But I find that on a practical level that um, you're starting people usually fairly quickly for uh, as a result of a diagnosis. And so trying to wait for the genetic results to come back, it's not very practical approach to that. So are you compounding these, these, uh, medications yourselves, or are you sending them off? You're actually, once you get the testing, you send it off to this group in, in Australia and they send you the meds back. Is that how it's working? Yeah, they actually have a testing lab here in Canada. Uh, but they, what happens is we bring the patient in, we describe what the test is, we describe what it doesn't do. For example, it won't test for diseases, it won't test for your genealogy, for example. Uh, but we will, we do a little throat, uh, sorry, not a throat, so a cheek swab with a, a swab, we gather some cheek cells, and we put it into a test tube, and off it goes to uh, um, the lab for testing. And then in about 10 to 15 business days, we get the results back and by um, through a portal that we use and that the patient can also sign into. And we get all of the results and it, it comes back with about a 15 to 20 page report. So it's quite comprehensive. And they also list every uh, reference that they have used to uh, substantiate the recommendations that they're providing as well as giving us some information to make our own clinical choices and judgment. With. So we sort of got started off at the very beginning talking about this intensive that we were doing. Um, how much of what you're doing in your business now has been directly related to the coaching that you've gotten over the last two years? Pretty much nothing. I, yeah. <laughs> no. Perfect. <laughs> Mike, when Michael hears that, he'll like, what? Yeah, no, no. Um, for me, it's been, it's been a really big um, help in prioritizing my time. That, that, that's been the, the absolute biggest help is um, your, your day planner your, is uh, do that every day. Keep that up to date. Do, you know, do uh your weekly big three and you get your weekly big three done and it just snowballs and you end up getting to that big goals that you had set up at the beginning of the quarter, the beginning of the year. Um, that that's the biggest thing I've gotten out of the business accelerator program. What you, Catherine? Well, for me, I think it's been about the, the community, you know, meeting people like yourself, for example, Ted, that's really been helpful and understanding that we're not really alone at what we do here. Right. There, there's, there's often a time when it feels very lonely, uh, even though we have each other, but we get a bit insular too. So it's helpful to have the, to, you know, the ability to bounce um, questions off of the people in the business accelerator group. It's nice to have that context as well in terms of, you know, other ideas, uh, 
because it, sometimes you'll hear an idea or someone will ask a question and there'll be a, a group response to it, or we'll get a response from some of the coaches in the program. And I'm, and then even when I hear the question, I'm like, well, I don't know if that's going to really apply to me. But after I hear the answer, I'm like, oh, I think I know where I can use that information to make my business better. And I think that's what's really been helpful for me personally. I think the other is just the idea. Um, I'm one of those, those people that ended up doing a whole lot of things all by myself, not feeling a lot, you know, quite confident about delegation or being able to even share the whole idea of where I want the business to go, which is what the vision script is supposed to be uh, the tool for you to use for that. So having that direction and having the very simple step-by-step approach to, to building these tools that we've been using in our business has been very rewarding and very valuable to us. And I think it's really helped us get crystal clear in what we want to do, um, even beyond what the franchise would have suggested for us to do. And that I think has been worth, you know, the time and energy and the money that we put into the program. Yeah, I agree with you guys on all that. It's, it's kind of funny too, about some of the things when someone will say something in a way that has nothing to do with the problem you're working through in your head, but just for some reason, somehow they say it and it completely changes your, your perspective of what that challenge you've been working on has been. And you take it in a completely different direction. Um, are you guys doing any of the mastermind meetings as well? Uh, for those that aren't familiar with a mastermind, it's a group where you have about five or six people together and you spend some time talking through a challenge you're working on and everybody sort of speaks into it. Now, are you guys do anything like that at all? Yeah, we, we have been, um, I, it's been helpful, um, just to be able to bounce ideas off of like Catherine to someone else other than her. Um, and, and also because of they, all the people in the mastermind group are also, um, either small business or same family or same size business as what we have. Some of them are actually husband and wife couples that are in the group with me, the one. So it's easy. It's, it's good to bounce off ideas off of them and see what they responded or how they handled the situation in the past or um, how they, they think they might handle that. So the, the mastermind group has been in, in helpful um, to say the least. Yeah. So roll back the way back machine a little bit here. You're Catherine, you're getting ready to start this pharmacy business of yours. Daryl, uh, how did you get involved in the level that you got involved with? Um, where, where did you come into the mix and what decision did you have to make? What kind of changes you have to make and what you were doing prior to this to, to join the organization? So myself, I'm actually an electronics technologist and I've worked for the local um, internet provider, Shaw Cable up here, internet TV provider um, for the last, I guess it's about eight years, seven years prior to this. Um, But I've always worked in the electronics industry for, I don't know, 20 years. Um, I've been the manager of one of the business department that I worked at at a previous company and enjoyed that side of, of the business operations. And when we moved out here to the, coast i thought i'd just continue down that path because i was still with uh, shaw cable at the time and when we decided to buy the store we thought there's no way that Catherine could do it on her own and without paying out an exorbitant amount to have like a manager or store manager or business manager continue with her um I thought I could at least minimal, a minimal, I could do like some of the bookkeeping. I'm a bit familiar with that a lot more now than I was back then. Um, human resources and marketing. I, I used to do a lot of marketing in a previous job. So I thought I would take on that role um, just in the essence to save money in the business, to get it us continually going at the beginning, to get, keep us going at the beginning of the, of the adventure there. So that's kind of how I got into the business. So then you, Catherine, how, what, what were the next steps for you guys? Well, when we made the decision to 
to perhaps look at buying a, a pharmacy. At that time, I was working as a hospital pharmacist. I'd had experience in community. I've done a, quite a, a lot of variety of things in the pharmacy world. So when we made that decision, we approached our now business partner about the medicine shop franchise because she had the two stores and she, and I, and we indicated that we had one that we thought was for sale here in Comox and she didn't even miss a beat. She said, I would love to be a partner with you in that business if you'd like. So if it felt like we had the backup with all of her experience, um, the two of us, we felt pretty confident going into an established business. So we knew what the revenue stream was like and the profitability was like. I think the things that were a bit of an unknown for us when we took it on was how were we going to sustain that without the previous owner's involvement? Because he was quite clear that this was a retirement move for him. He wasn't going to stay in the business. And the other problem that we sort of foresaw was when we did an assessment of the team that we had, knowing a little bit about the direction we wanted to go in with the business, we had some concerns that that team probably wasn't going to help us get there and how we were going to have to make some, you know, shift some people around in roles potentially, or maybe help them find other employment. So that was when we first got started, there were a lot of moving parts and we put in an awful lot of hours in that first year just to get the business to a place where we want it to, to be and maintain our, the stability of the revenue stream. Like I say, we were worried that we might lose people because of that personal relationship with the, per, the previous owner. Uh, and then since then, it's been about uh, slowly evolving it to the, the kind of business that we wanted to have uh, really build on the success of the previous owner who did a lot of what we're doing in our community, in the community, we built on that. And then also moving it from much less of a, a you know, a fill a prescription filling service to a much more complete home like healthcare and home healthcare, as well as a, a very high clinical focus in our practice, something that people are not really as familiar with. And we've had to spend a lot of time marketing our services uh, to the community. And yet once they've experienced them, it makes for uh, very good ambassadors for our business. We have them uh, sing our praises after we've really helped them. So when you're, you're changing the direction, how much retraining did you have to do with your customers? I presume you wanted to keep as many of the old ones that you had. How much retraining did you have to do with your, your customers to get them to understand that what you were doing was going to be a little different from what they were used to, but still having that same feel of, of what they'd had in the past? I think what was really hard and what we ended up doing with some trial and error was recognizing that not all of the people that we uh, brought that came with the business were going to be candidates for this new approach. So we ended up having to, if you like, segment our customers a little bit and look at them uh, in terms of who would most benefit from this service, who would be most open to the service, and then looking at some ways that we could introduce the, the, a more clinical focus to their care. And as we started to get better at doing it as well, we started to identify more people that we could benefit and it just kind of snowballed from there. So we tried to take baby steps in the beginning, uh, mainly because we were still trying to get our team in place and do a few other things in the business and trying to focus on doing a whole bunch of new things felt a little bit overwhelming to begin with. And I think that we've also learned that, you know, for every no, or two or three no's that we get, we eventually will get one or two or three yeses. And we just have to be persistent in, in pursuing that approach. And once, like I say, once they've experienced it and we get them on a regular schedule of, of reviews, a regular schedule of clinical contact, they, they really miss it if I end up having, you know, a pharmacist on holidays for a period of time or what have you, because we kind of get behind in, in some of that work. So it's been an interesting evolution. And I think over time, we've also attracted the kinds of patients that really appreciate that kind of service as well. So let me get this straight. 
you guys decided that we're going to be some people y'all just weren't going to take care of anymore. And I'm putting that sort of bluntly, but Daryl, when you decided that was going to be the case you guys were going to take, how did you come to that decision that they're just not going to be our customers anymore? Well, we didn't necessarily go that far. What we did is we, 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 we cherry picked a lot of the patients that would benefit the most from the new services. And we, we focused on them and, and their, um, their needs, the ones that, so what, what Catherine was talking about are, are clinical services, like, um, medication reviews. So we identified, um, through the government process of who is eligible to get a medication review and it would be covered for by pharmacare or by the government. We identified a lot of those people and then we started marketing and developing a, um, a strategy to attract more patients. It's very similar to that. Um, we created an avatar that would, that is our ideal patient and then we started marketing directly toward our, towards that avatar so that when page, new patients do come through the door, we can identify them almost immediately that there's a patient that we want to talk to. Those one, that's one we want to massage and take care of. It's not like we're not taking care of the non-perfect ideal patient. We are. We're just not, we're not spending a lot of time in massaging them into uh, a long-term customer at, the, at that point. See, this is actually kind of perfect. I'm, I'm glad you're explaining this because this is, this is exactly what I think a lot of us, it's not just, I think a lot of your colleagues, a lot of my colleagues struggle with this very thing. We're all trying to be something to everybody. When in fact, if we were going to concentrate on the people who are truly that ideal avatar for us, we could give them a much better experience. All those people who don't fit into what we want would not be the right experience, not be getting the right experience. And they might actually be happier somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, Ted. Um, they may go to like, like Catherine says, we, we aren't the cheapest in town. So they may, 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 they may choose to go to another pharmacy that all they need is, a prescription every 90 days. They don't need any clinical services. They don't need to be explained what their medication is. They don't need to get their flu shot or their potentially COVID shot at a pharmacy, right? So they can, we tend to market towards the people that do need them, will appreciate and pay for that type of service. I think one of the things in our business, Ted, that we recognized early on is that we have to that we have to be able to look at uh, keeping our costs really low in order to uh, focus on creating the time for our clinicians to be able to to spend with our with our uh, patients, and that's made a big difference in the shift in my thinking as well is I have found that when I'm able to, uh, you know, that the prescription filling fulfillment side of it is running really smoothly. I'm not having to troubleshoot those processes as frequently. And that frees up my time to spend more time with the seniors that we serve. And that's made a big difference in terms of our attraction um, of those, those particular patients and also our satisfaction. So myself and the other two pharmacists that, that, you know, were in our business with us, you know, are, they, they are really, they really like having that extra time that you wouldn't normally be able to get if all you were focusing on was trying to, to push out prescriptions out the door. So we've, we've done another thing on the other side, and that is we've really embraced technology and automation to do our, our, uh, the whole prescription fulfillment side of it. We've embraced information technology and uh, automation of our, our billing processes to really uh, leverage time on that side to do it as, as efficiently and as, as accurately as we possibly can. And then that allows the pharmacist then the time at the other end when the prescription is already filled to take the patient aside and do all of the clinical services on that, that side. So uh, we've, 
I, it's an interesting idea because when I went through business school and did my MBA 30 years ago, what I was taught is you could either be a quality leader or you could be a cost leader, but you really can't do both. And I actually would beg to differ. I think we do a little bit of both. And we do that by really um, making sure our process, like I say, our processes are really finely tuned uh, and also providing top quality clinical services, some of which people will actually pay for. And when you're actually had that avatar figured out, you know, who's going to value it before they even know they're going to value it. So the discussion is I'm presuming a lot easier to have with them because you've already figured out how you're going to pitch it, how you're going to, um, you know, take care of them on the long run. What, what does that process sound like? If I'm, I'm the right person walking through the door, how, how are you going to give me the, give me the goods? Well, I know when I have someone that comes in for the first time is I ask them if we can spend a few minutes just getting to know each other a little bit. And what I, that does is help me understand where their needs might be. So I like to, because uh, as you just mentioned, sometimes people don't even know what they need. So by asking some questions, taking the time to really listen to their concerns, helping them uh, look at even their medication regimen a little differently, even helping them identify if they've got side effects, for example. It's surprising to me sometimes, just as an aside, how often people will put up with things uh, that are, you can solve for them. You know, so uh, especially seniors, they just, uh, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, you know, I'm just old and that's just the way it is. And there's nothing that can be done about it. And, and my response is, no, that's absolutely not true. There's a lot we can do about it. So let's sit down. Let's go through your list of, of things that are bothering you. And let's figure out some ways to solve some of these problems for you and, and to meet their needs. The other group, interestingly enough, is not just the, you know, the patient that we see. We do a lot of work with caregivers and their families. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a nice add-on, if you like, to, to where we were targeting in terms of our business. But what we've also found is that, you know, the, the families, sons and daughters of the people that we serve are now part of that, that, that care approach, if you like. And we do a lot of work with them as well to try and help them feel confident and also feel like they're taking care of mom and dad and that they have somebody in their court because it can be a little bit bewildering especially when things go off the rails as they sometimes do when you you have people in their senior and they have health issues so all of a sudden you know mom's landed in the hospital and she's had a heart attack or she's had a stroke and and you know the kids are scrambling to figure out what they're going to do for her you know, once she's discharged. So we've become part of that help team, if you like. And often people are quite surprised when they come in and see us and we just, we just handle a lot of things for them. And the family comes back afterwards and say, I don't know what we would have done without your guidance and your help. We, we wouldn't have even known where to start. And so that's been another sort of avatar that we've been starting to develop and serve as well from the, our business perspective. Uh, and also, you know, just serving those two groups has been really quite satisfying. Um, you know, just to give you an example, I just got flowers the other day from one of our, our patients, uh, just as a, a thank you for some of the work we've done in it. And it was, it's kind of surprising often because it's like, well, that's just the, that's just a, an average day for us. Right. But they were so appreciative. So how did you guys come to the idea of coming up with this ideal guest in the first place, Daryl? Well, well, another small business group that I belong to, um, the, one of the guys in the group is a, is a marketer and he mainly does digital marketing. Um, he doesn't do a lot of like, um, newspaper radio ads. He does all digital marketing. And what he said is once you, once you created an avatar, in the digital world, it's very easy to market directly, specifically to that person. Um, you go onto Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, they all have a profile. Every, every person on that program has a profile. So 
if you create your your avatar is say let's say he's a golfer in his 60s who likes to take vacations well you identify all those things and you market to the those in, interest groups on facebook instagram you hit them exactly where like it's it's 100 people that you should be attracting to your business um we also tried using we use that same avatar for times when someone comes looking for donations so you have a group that comes to you and says look we're looking for money for this certain fundraiser that we're doing i said well who do you serve like who who's your interest group that you and so they tell me and i'm like i'm sorry that doesn't hit our avatar i don't i don't want to spend my money on sponsoring your group because it's not going to hit my target audience so once we've developed that avatar it's simple for a lot of stuff like marketing there's a couple of golf courses around town that they look for like hang signs on their, their fences or um, a whole sponsor I'm like what what's your average um golfer's age and they say well in their, in their 60s i'm oh that's perfect what hole i want hole 18 please and then it, it's it's really simple if they came up and said oh we're like early 30s somewhere in that neighborhood i'm like, sorry i don't even want to sponsor your golf course <laughs> they might golf but they're in the wrong age group right so it's right. it's really simple to make advertising um decisions based on that avatar but yeah adam one of the guys in the group he 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 has a marketing um marketing company that he does this work with all of his clients um that's one of the very first things that he does is let's find out who you want to serve and let's build your avatar and start attracting those people that's brilliant you know because um we'd spin our wheels and our money and our time talking to the wrong people half the time mm -hmm. we're in business, you know, there's that old joke in marketing. We know have to, we know 50% of our marketing works. We just don't know which half. Yeah. You know, exactly. So, um, yeah. go ahead, Catherine. I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say that it has also, we've also been able to use that as a teaching tool for our team members as well. So when we explain to them the, the kind of person that we are best able to serve, then when those people show up for a variety of other reasons, for example, when they go into our home healthcare area to get a brace or, um, or to pick up compression socks or whatever it is that they're buying down there, our team members know right away if they're the, the ideal a candidate for our services in the prescription side or in the clinical side. And we've given them some talking tips, if you like, or scripts to use in order to talk to them about where they get their prescription services and one of the, and, and a couple of the benefits that they would get by moving their, their business to us. And our team is getting very savvy about how to do that and very smooth about how to do that and bringing uh, over people from other pharmacies when they hear about the extra services that we provide and the, and the personalized touch that we, pr we provide in our pharmacy. And some of them will say, yeah, I'll, I'm willing to give it a try. And we, we transfer them over and they get to experience what I think is a, a really high level of care and attention that we provide in our pharmacy. How do you teach your team this avatar, what it, what this avatar looks like. I mean, how do you go about that process? So we actually, the, the best thing Adam said is give it a name, give her or him a name. So our perfect avatar is Shirley. That's who our avatar is. And that's all you have to do is look, there's a Shirley walking through the door and they can identify when they start to identify that Shirley is that, senior maybe 65 ish comes in with a list of prescriptions in her hand kind of thing um she's there to like Catherine does maybe pick up some tylenol or a pair of compression socks um as soon as we start having that conversation and so it's just simple questions about um are you from the valley do you live close to the store uh do you, are, are you recently retired or what did you do for a living kind of thing, which kind of keys off some of the things like 
So you were a teacher, so you have a very good benefits plan. Or you were in the military, you also have a very good benefits plan, right? So they're not the ones that are worried about how costly their prescriptions are because of their good benefits plan. And they also, our staff also understand that we have to keep filling that, the, uh, the pipeline, right? The funnel, their, their sales funnel. So they, they, they kind of know who to identify um, simply because we've had that conversation. We've, we told them, like we've talked to them about um, the program. One of the programs that we use is critical conversations. So we go through the program and set up scenarios where um, a mock patient comes into the store and they're a paid patient, they're a paid actor who comes into the store and it is asking about compression socks or how do I transfer a prescription here? And so we've coached the team on the right answers to give when the, that patient comes in. Um, and the more you do it, the more easy that conversation becomes and doesn't seem like um, anything out of the ordinary, but it takes practice. Yeah. So Catherine, how did you know there were enough Shirley's to go around for you guys to make this work? Well, one of the things that the Medicine Shop Canada franchise helped us with was producing a demographic report for our area and giving us some insight into that avatar, if you like, or at least the, the really broad population that we that we have here in in our local area. So that was one thing we had, we had some, we had some facts to back up what we were wanting to do. We also had, of course, when we bought the business, we had our own database. So we could look at the, the average age of the, the person that we were already serving. Uh, we could also look at their, the, the kinds of disease processes they were experiencing so that we could be savvy about how we might be able to help them, uh, especially with chronic diseases. Um, so high blood pressure, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorders, um, uh, cardiac disease, diabetes, type two diabetes. You know, those are probably our top four uh, chronic diseases that we see in our practice. And then we just became really good at, at putting what we saw in the demographic information with what we saw in our own information and also sort of triangulating that if you like with the desired goal of bringing in people that would really benefit or be appreciative of the clinical services and then using that that information was how we made our choices around how to develop that avatar so we didn't do it in a vacuum um, we did do some some thinking about it and got some data to back that up originally. And now after five and a half years, a lot of what we, we saw uh, is rung pretty true to what we're the, the groups of people we're serving right now. So I love how this is gone. I don't know if y'all felt this like at about um, maybe probably 10 o'clock your time today. I must've been channeling. I, mean, I, I couldn't be further away from the two of you in, in North America than I think I possibly am, except for if I was in Florida right now. But my fourth question is, who is your ideal guest? How did you identify them and how do you reach them? And y'all did this without me even having to prompt you. That was pretty impressive. Thank you both for pulling that one off. Let's see if you can guess what my next question is going to be. Probably not. Uh -oh. okay. <laughs> so, um, so I do want to do, do something that's a little bit different, uh, something we've not ever talked about in our groups, but I, something I'm kind of struggling with a little bit of late. And that is um, sort of uh, really feeling like I'm, I'm kind of a fraud a little bit, you know, this, um, imposter syndrome, if you will. Um, do you guys ever deal with that or is that just me? Oh, I, I think that's just human nature. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think a day goes by that. I don't think, Oh man, somebody's going to figure me out one of these days. Uh, but I, I think, I think whenever you're doing something a little bit risky or you're stretching yourself a little bit, I, I think that shows up in lots of forms. Uh, I like to think of it as, you know, a bit of resistance to doing things that might be a little bit uncomfortable. 
to do. And then I might say, oh, you know, maybe I'm not cut out to do this. You know, I'm an imposter, whatever it is. I try and view that as probably a signal that I'm doing something that's worthwhile and that my, my brain is just trying to, to put up a few obstacles to, to doing it. And I, I think if we weren't doing stuff that was really important work, I, I don't think we would have that feeling. And I don't think that it would be worth, worth doing. I, so I, I look at it as, yeah, I feel it a lot. But on the other hand, if I wasn't feeling it, I'd be a little bit worried that I'm not doing something that's, that's stretching me a bit. Right. How about you, Daryl? That's an interesting question. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here thinking about what, 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 what is the imposter syndrome? But I can relate to curling. So um, a bit of my background was 15 years ago, I curled competitively on the World Curling Tour on a diff- couple of different teams. Um, and all you have to do is go out against like the world champion and they'd make, they'd tell you you're an imposter when they kick your butt in like four ends and you're, you know, but it, it when, when you go out there and you, you think about, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm out there trying my best doing, doing the best we can. We, we can compete with these guys, but we're really not there. Like, what are we doing in this league? Like what, why are we spending our time, spending our money, spending our weekends, spending all of our evenings at the curling club practicing just to go out there and, be shown who you really are when you come up against teams like that. But like Catherine says, if you're not out there trying and participating, um, trying to advance yourself, you're, you're, you're never going to get, you're never going to change. And I think that, that being trying to think of yourself as a posture is part of that change process is from becoming someone who you weren't before. And at, at the end, you wouldn't be an imposter. You'd be the, you would be a, I guess, what would you call it? A reality or a uh, part of, part of that, part of the real person or personality you're trying to become no longer a per, no longer an imposter or trying to be somebody you be, are that somebody. Yeah. Because I mean, I think that our, our society today is all this whole fake it till you make it kind of thing. And when we actually start applying ourselves, when we start trying to push ourselves in the, I, I agree with you, Catherine. I think it's part of that is the, the being out of that comfort zone, maybe not exactly into the um, um, what's the other zone we were talking about the other day, the delusional zone, you know, where you're so far out in front of yourself, you know, that I think that's where you start getting into more narcissistic and then you're definitely not feeling like a fraud. You're just feeling like I'm, I'm Superman. I can do anything. But when you're in this almost feeling like a fraud a little bit, like you said, Catherine, I think probably better. Somebody's going to figure me out sooner or later. I, I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but somebody's going to finally look at me and go, J'accuse, you know, you're, I gotcha, you know, and um, I, I kind of have felt that like that a lot more. It seems like in the last year, maybe it's this compassion fatigue. Maybe it's the decision fatigue. Maybe it's just the fact that we're all, not quite out over the tips of our skis, but we're getting pretty close to it, you know, and, um, it, it's a, it's a different feeling perhaps than it's been in the past. And I guess part of it is changing. You guys are doing the same thing. You're changing the way you're doing your business. You're putting it into a different place. You're going to actually probably have somebody else doing all the things that you've identified yourself as in the past moving forward. And how does that feel now that you're not having that identity anymore? Well, I, I think it feels a bit like you're unanchored for sure. I, you know, I, I, I would be surprised if you spoke with anyone that's been through the last, you know, 18 months that doesn't feel a bit like they're at sea, <laughs> uh, especially if you're in a healthcare field where, you know, you're, you're, if, felt at least to me like I was doing battle on two fronts if you like you know trying to keep my team from feeling too much anxiety about the the situation plus trying to be the professional if you like on the other side bringing factual information to all the hysteria especially in the very beginning when people didn't really know what was going on 
so I, I, I think that it's, that's part of how we grow. It's part of how we get a, bit, a little bit better every day with what we do. And yeah, I, it, you know, being an imposter sometimes I think is not a, is not really a bad thing. If you look at it from the perspective of, I would like to be so much better than where I am right now. And in order to do that, I need to identify what I need to do better and how I'm going to move towards that, that ideal state, if you like. And I like to look back occasionally and just remind myself about how far I've come or we've come in, you know, as a couple in our business and how far our business has come just to remind myself that, yeah, I probably felt like that imposter when we started and yet we're still doing a lot of things. um, And we continue to maintain a, a good business in our community. So we must be doing something right. And I think I have to hold on to that uh, in order to move forward as well. So, so reminding myself, we've gained a lot in the last number of years that we've been doing this and that experience is going to serve us well going forward. So one of the things to sort of get us on the end of this thing, we being in business accelerator, um, we've had to celebrate wins. And I said had to, because that's not something that was typically part of my, part of my DNA, I guess you'd say, you know, it was all, you know, Oh, great. We finished that. Now what's next? You know, that was the way I basically operated, but now we have to sit down and celebrate these wins. So each of you tell me one win that you've had for the last quarter. That was pretty impressive for yourself. Well, I'll tell you after a year of, of working hard in our business through the COVID season, if you like, one of the wins I, I felt really strongly about was I went out and bought an e-bike and I started to ride that on a semi-regular basis. But just the idea that I had an opportunity to, you know, to be able to afford one of those, be able to, you know, look after my health in the midst of all of this, this whirlwind that we found ourselves in, I thought was a pretty significant win. That's great. How about you, Daryl? Well, one of the things that, that this last quarter what we did is we we changed all of our software in the store, like everything, oh. our expansion software, our POS software. Instead of doing like one and then maybe do another one, but we did it all. Um, and we're that was January was our first our first one, and then March was our second one. So it's kind of like that was that that quarter that first quarter of the year got that all that done second quarter was kind of figure out how to work it how to use it right and massage it all and finally this this quarter we've kind of got it all together um our billing software is working really well um the team has gotten used to the new dispensing software solving their own problems they uh they, they don't need to be um hampering Catherine or one of the other pharmacists all the time to how do we do this again? How do we do that again? They've all developed that. Um, We set aside time for training um, for them to be able to figure out this stuff on their own and also go through some of the, um, the training manual that we developed or that the software provider developed um, so that we don't have to be standing up there answering questions all day long so I think this quarter has been really good in that we've moved ahead and uh, the team is getting uh, really uh, efficient at the new, the use of the new software. So that was a good win for us. I'd even tag on to what Daryl said about the software in the sense that I wouldn't have thought that just making a switch in the software would help us do our processes even better. I, what I was looking for was to fill some holes that my previous software, uh, you know, lacked, if you like. But what we've been finding is that because of the tool kit that comes along with this piece of software is so robust, we've actually, you know, leapfrogged what we thought was possible in our whole dispensing process by using this new software. And maybe I'm still in the honeymoon phase with this, but I'm really liking it. And I think our team's really liking it as well. And it's made us much more efficient and we are able to fulfill our promises a lot 
better. And also we just know where everything is in our process. So we can follow a, a prescription from the start all the way to the end and know exactly where it is in our process because our software will tell us that. Well, I can safely tell you that this must be a really impressive software thing because the honeymoon phase of every single EHR we've ever gone to has not been the best part of the, of the switchover. It's been the nightmare. Every time we get to the end of the honeymoon phase, people are saying, okay, now that we know this, you are never changing our software again, right? You know, so uh, that's uh, that's the kind of, when you said, y'all were, oh gosh, I, I just have nightmares of uh, Colette's uh, looking at me at the office going, no, we're not changing again. We've done this. No, we're not doing it again. But that was quarter two. Yeah. <laughs> quarter two was that phase. Quarter three was really good. But then we started figuring it out. It's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time you guys have given me today. Um, and um, I, I really, I can't wait to see you guys alive in the flesh again, hopefully sometime before our third year is over with. Um, but thank you very much for both being here. Thanks for having us, Ted. This is a real pleasure. And of course, it's really nice to see you and talk with you. We've missed you as well. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what we we're going to get it. We were getting ourselves into here, but this has been a really good, uh, good chat. Good. So now, Catherine, you've been through this. You said you were thinking about doing one of these. You should do this now. Mm-hmm. I totally should. I know Daryl's been bugging me to get to get going with it. So I, uh, I, I feel like we could probably pull together something that would be of interest to people. And I, I think trying, what I have to figure out is our audience. Yeah, I've been trying to get her in front of the camera um, because Adam, um, our marketing guy, says video sells. And he's, he's had nothing but success with doing video on um, digital marketing. So, but yeah, uh, it's really the hardest part for me has been, and this is going to come as no surprise to y'all at all um, to ask a question and then shut up and just let y'all talk. It is excruciatingly painful for me sometimes with these, because I just want to say something so bad and I can't, you know, I'm, I want to let, because you're the guest, you're the ones that are the star of the show with this one. I'm just the, you know, asking the questions, but, uh, it has been, it's really helped me out a lot though. Uh, in my regular life, because now I'm not talking as much as I used to, I'm listening a lot more. And so this has been not that you can tell right now by what I'm doing, but you know, it, it has made me a much better listener, a much better listener. And that's uh, what zoom has done for me. Like, if you start interrupting people during a zoom call or, or this, all these um, multimedia um, meetings, you end up interrupting everybody and nobody gets anything done. And you know, it's like, you don't get the message. So that's what I found with this zoom and platforms and you have to pause, wait for them to finish talking, then make sure they're done talking. Then you can start talking. Right. So that, that's what I find the listening part of it too.